All right, have a seat, have a seat. Good morning. Everybody doing all right out there? Good, good. You know, it, what a blessing to see all these kids, all these babies come forward and to have them dedicated to the Lord. This is this has truly been a special day. You know, I was um, I remember being at summer camp when I was a kid and uh, the the camp director spoke on the last night. He had uh, he had a couple kids of his own. It was a Christian summer camp. And the last night, he had, uh, he had, uh, his two kids were in the camp with us, as a matter of fact. And so we were interacting with his two kids, the camp director's kids, in the camp. And his message on the last night of summer camp was, was really directed to all those children out in the audience to remind them that no matter what they do, no matter what path they take in life, that they're always welcome home. And his kids, he told us, always knew one thing about their parents. There was one thing this camp director would tell to his son and his daughter that was indelibly clear in their minds throughout their lives, and I know is still in their minds today. He would tell each of his kids, He'd say, no matter what you do, no matter what you do, you can always come home. That really left an impression on me as a young kid. Because what this camp director was saying to his kids, and also to the kids out in the summer camp that day, was that no matter what you do, no matter what path you take in life, No matter whether you follow the Lord or whether you fall upon a path of sin, no matter whether you are in the church or outside the church, no matter whether you are living a life that God is pleased with or no matter whether you're living a life that God is displeased with, this camp director told his kids, you can always come home. You will always have a home with us. You know, we've made vows today. These parents have made vows today. We've dedicated babies this morning to the Lord. But friends, you and I know all too well um, that there are no guarantees up here. There are no guarantees in this life. In fact, I know today there, there are parents here today, some of whose children are following the Lord today, and some of whose children may have strayed from the path. I mean, I'm... It's not a guessing game here. The bottom line is, when we raise our kids in the Lord, they still have a choice to make when they get older. They still have a path to take. And some of them go one way and some of them go another. And of course, as parents, we desperately want them to follow the Lord with their lives, but there are no guarantees. There are no guarantees in this life. I want to ask all you parents today a question. And you say, well, maybe I'm not a parent. That's okay. This question will still apply to you because it will apply in a different kind of way. My question to you is this. My question is, how would you react to your child if they utterly shunned your instruction and turned aside to their own way? You say, well, this is a really uplifting baby dedication sermon. (laughs) How would you react? 
chances are many of you can identify with this on some way, shape, or form. You say, well, I'm not a parent. That's okay. How, would you, how do you react to someone that you are estranged from? To someone that you've had a relationship with and then they've gone their own way and, and there's been tension and strain in the relationship. How do you react to that person? What is your reaction? What is your demeanor toward them? Friends, I want to suggest to you today that no matter what, no matter what your child does, no matter what a good family friend does or a neighbor whom you've loved and now have gone on to have tension or estrangement with, no matter what happens, I want to suggest to you that the Bible is absolutely crystal clear on what our reaction is to be. And it is this, you can always come home. The title of my message, You Can Always Come Home. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. We're going to read in part the parable of the prodigal son. Now many of you are familiar with this parable. We're going to, we're going to read half of it today. And we're going to study the next half of the parable next week. But today, I wanted to bring a message that gives us a glimpse into what God expects of us as we interact with our children, as we interact with those who have perhaps been estranged from us. So take a look at Luke chapter 15. We're going to begin in verse 11, and we're going to go to verse 24 today. Luke 15, 11 to 24. Jesus is speaking a parable, a story. He's telling a story. This is what He says. Then He, Jesus said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that fall to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Not many days after, the young son, younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country and sent, and sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he, that is the young son, would gladly, gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to, and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise. And I'll go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose, the young boy, and he came to his father. And when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. And he ran and he fell on his neck and, and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Heavenly Father, Lord, impress upon our hearts Your Word today. May Your Spirit guide us as we study it, as we learn from it. May You impress upon our hearts, Father, Your desire to always bring us home. 
no matter what. In Christ our Lord's name we pray. Amen. Friends, we're not going to pick apart this parable uh, with all of its little elements today, but I want to give you some of the broad strokes. I want to give you some of the broad generalities of what's happening in our parable today. So let's go through it one more time a little bit quickly to see some things that we can extract from the story and begin to apply to our lives. Take a look again at verse 11. Jesus is telling a story and he says this, Then he said to them, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Give me the portion of goods that falls to me. Friends, in the ancient Jewish world, there was a tradition of inheritance. There was a tradition whereby the fathers would pass on their livelihood to the sons, to their children. And this is an illustration of of that very thing taking place. The Jewish father is passing off his livelihood to his young son. Only this one, it's a little bit different. Because normally... The father passes, it on, passes on his inheritance, his livelihood, at an age in which he can no longer manage the estate. At an age where he is no longer able to care for all that he has. Or perhaps he's died and it's been passed on after that. But in this parable, the son asked for it early. He says, Dad, I'd, I'd like that inheritance a bit early. He's the youngest son. According to the Jewish law, the eldest son actually gets a a double portion of the inheritance. So assuming there's two sons, if you want to get mathematical about it, the eldest son would get two-thirds of the estate and the younger son would get one-third of the estate. The eldest would have a double portion. The younger would have a little bit less. So the young son asked the father, give me my inheritance. The father obliges. He says, "That's, that's fair enough. Here is my portion to you. Verse 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeying to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Now take note of the term far country, friends. That is a key expression in this parable today. The son journeys away from all that he knows. He journeys away from his father's home, and he goes to a far country. He goes off to a land that he does not know and he takes his inheritance to another place, another culture, and it is there that he fritters it away. He fritters away all, all that his father had given him. The expression prodigal living there. He he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. That literally means to waste it, to be reckless, to be careless. It has the idea of of being immoral with it. To be loose, to be wild. He took what his father gave him and threw it away. Verse 14. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land. And he began to be in want. Then he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he, the boy, would gladly, gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. With the inheritance squandered, and a famine ravaging its way through this foreign land, 
the son finds himself in dire straits. And so he, he goes on to say that he joins himself to a citizen of that country. Friends, this is an, an expression of basically saying he became a servant. He virtually, virtually became a slave. He went to someone and he said, look, I've got nothing. Give me any work you have. I need something to eat. I have nothing. I've wasted it all. Make me like a servant. Make me like a slave. We can assume that he became like a slave based on his job duty. You see, this young boy was relegated to the most humiliating of work. He was forced to feed pigs. Something, I might add, that was especially shameful for a young Jewish man. As swine were considered unclean by the Old Testament law. He became so desperate for food that he decided to engage in work with unclean animals. He became so desperate for food that he even yearned for the pods that the, that the swine ate. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise, he thinks to himself, and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Desperate for food, finding himself alone and hopeless in a far country, the son reasons within himself, maybe I can go home. Maybe I can go home. Surely, surely, I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. But I remember that my father's servants, I remember on the estate when I left years ago, they were cared for. They had food on their plates. They had enough to eat. So maybe, maybe my father can take me back, of course not as a son, for what I've done is, is, is awful. But maybe, just maybe, he'll take me back as a servant, as a hired slave, if you will. He reasoned within himself that this may be the path to take, and so he begins the return home. He begins the return home having utterly wasted his inheritance. He begins the return home having moved to a far, far country and lived a life of decadence, corruption, self-indulgence. He begins to return home knowing that he has shamed his own name and the name of his father. He begins to turn home knowing that he has sinned against God and against his earthly father. Verse 20. And the boy arose, he arose, and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. And he ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. What does the father do? Does he shun the boy? Does he scold him 
for his past life of sin? Does he send his hired servants out in advance as a delegation to the son saying, you're not welcome here. You're not welcome in this home. Jesus says, no. This father has compassion. This father shows unbelievable mercy. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Nonsense, the father says. Nonsense. You are my son. Put a robe on this boy. Bring the family ring. Put it on his finger. Why don't your feet have sandals? Put sandals on his feet. Bring out the best calf. Slay it. We're throwing a party tonight. My son was dead. And he's alive again. My son was lost. And now he's found. Let me pause for a minute and ask you a question. Would you do this? Would you do this for your child? I think it's safe to say that um, most parents have, have purposed in their hearts to one day give an inheritance to their children. I've reminded my parents that I'm the firstborn and I'm supposed to get a double portion of that inheritance. Just kidding. But I think it's safe to say that most parents uh, purpose in their heart to give an inheritance to their children, don't they? Imagine, if you will, that your child asked for that inheritance a little bit early. You oblige. You say, well, it's fair enough. If you want it early, here it is. Imagine, if you will, that your child takes that inheritance that you've worked so hard to accumulate, you've labored so long for the things that you have, your home, your wealth, your possessions. You give them their portion and they go out into the world and they waste it. Imagine your son or daughter takes their portion, their blessing, and goes out and wastes it away on drugs, on excessive drinking, on licentious and immoral behavior. You read on in this parable later on, you're going you're to see the accusation that this young son spent it on prostitutes, harlots. Imagine your child took your inheritance and threw it all away on the sins of this world. Maybe you haven't heard from them in years. And all of a sudden, one day the doorbell rings. And it's your child standing at the door, hopeless, helpless, and ashamed. What would your reaction be? Before you answer that question, I want to tell you about another father. I want to tell you about another father and how he reacted to his children who had wasted their inheritance. I want to tell you about another father who had given his children a great blessing, and yet his children time and time again, not just once, but repeatedly squandered what their father had given them. I want to tell you about our Heavenly Father. I want to tell you about the God of Israel, who is described as a father in the Bible. I want to tell you about his children, the nation of Israel, 
from the Old Testament and how they squandered and wasted His inheritance that He had given to them. And I want to tell you about how the Father reacted to His children. Friends, there are a thousand Scriptures I could bring at this point in time. And I've chosen three in particular for us to look at today. The three that I've selected, you're going to notice some of the correspondence of imagery with the parable we've just read. You're going to notice in these three passages as we, as we see how the Heavenly Father interacted with the nation of Israel, His children, you're going to see some, some correspondence of the things that are mentioned in these passages. We're going to be reading three selections from the Old Testament from the prophet Jeremiah. He wrote the book of Lamentations and the book of Jeremiah. And these three selections, as you read them, I want you to pay attention to the imagery that you see. I want you to pay attention to the way in which Jeremiah expresses himself and shows how God is interacting with His children. Prior to reading this first passage, by way of introduction, let me just say this. The three passages that we read today were written by Jeremiah in the late 6th century B.C., They were written during a time in which Israel, God's people, the southern kingdom of Judah, had been taken away to exile in Babylon because of their sin, because they had squandered the inheritance given them. Jeremiah is going to be commenting on the grave consequences that has befallen Israel for their sin. Take a look at Lamentations chapter 5. I've I've drawn out selections from chapter 5 verses 1 to 16. Take a look at this imagery. Remember, O Lord, what has come upon us. Look and behold our reproach, Jeremiah says. He's looking at the city of Jerusalem right now. He says, Our inheritance has been turned over to aliens, strangers, foreigners. Our house is to foreigners. We have become orphans and waifs. Our mothers are like widows. We labor and have no rest. Servants rule over us. There is none to deliver us from their hand. Our skin is hot as an oven because of the fever of famine. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe, woe to us, for we have sinned. Do you see the imagery? Do you see the correspondence with the story we've read a little bit earlier today? The parable of the prodigal son. In spite of their self-inflicted consequences, the Lord assures Jeremiah the prophet that he intends, that God intends, the Father intends to pave the way for the people of Israel to come home to Jerusalem. Notice the dialogue between God and Israel in this section, Jeremiah 31, 17-20. Notice the dialogue between God and Israel. God says this to Jeremiah, There is hope in your future, says the Lord, that your children shall come back to their own border. God says, I've surely heard Ephraim, that is Israel, bemoaning himself. This is Israel talking. Listen to what Israel says about herself. You have chastised me, Lord, and I was chastised. Like an untrained bull, restore me and I will return. For you are the Lord my God. Surely, after my turning, I repented. After I was instructed, I struck myself on the thigh. 
I was ashamed, yes, even humiliated, because I bore the reproach of my youth. And this is God's response to Israel. He says, is Ephraim, is Israel my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For though I spoke against him, I earnestly remember him still. Therefore my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, says the Lord. The correspondence of imagery here is, is uncanny. It is uncanny. At the top, in verse 17, you see the return from the far country, if you will. You see the return from the far off land. God's people have gone off to Babylon and yet God tells Jeremiah they're coming back. I'm going to bring them back home. In verses 18 to 19, you see Israel bemoaning himself. You see Israel saying, Oh Lord, what have I done? I've shamed myself. I've humiliated you. Remember the young son in the parable of the prodigal son? He says, Oh... I have sinned against heaven and against my Father. I am ashamed. I am not worthy to be called your son. Make me like a hired servant. Verse 20, God says, I'm going to have mercy on him. I'm going to have mercy on Israel. I'm going to have mercy on my people who journeyed away from me, and I'm going to bring them back home. The Father had compassion on his son when he saw him off from the distance. Our last text, Jeremiah 29, 10-14. This is a text in which some of you, perhaps this is your favorite verse in, in, in verse 11. Notice what the Lord says here. He's telling Jeremiah, he's speaking through Jeremiah to the people. Thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place that is Jerusalem. For I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me, and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations." You read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and you will see the Israelites return from Babylon after 70 years. Read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and you will see this prophecy spoken years before come to fruition. You will see God's mercy yet again upon His children who have journeyed away to a far country, who have turned against Him only to be welcomed back home by their father. You see, friends, the parable that we read today, the parable of the prodigal son, it is so much more. It is so much more than a metaphor for good parenting. I would be remiss to stop the message and say this is about parenting because it's not about parenting. Sure, it has implications for parenting, Sure, we can draw from that parable and say this is how we also can relate to our children. And that's, good, that's a good example. That's a good application of it. But when I ask the question, what is the point of the parable of the prodigal son? My answer is simple. God shows mercy to sinners. 
God shows mercy to sinners. The parable we read today is so much more than a metaphor for good parenting. Friends, it is this. It is a microcosm of what our Heavenly Father has done toward Israel. When I say the word microcosm, you say, what is that word? It's a small example of a much larger thing. It's a small element of a much greater theme taking place. When you see the parable of the prodigal son, you are seeing the story of God with Israel. That is what you are reading. And not only that, when you read the parable of the prodigal son, you are seeing a microcosm of God's mercy toward you and I in Jesus Christ. Friends, this parable is the story, is an example of the story of God. This parable showcases time and time again what our Heavenly Father does to His children. He shows mercy. He is abundant and ready and willing to show mercy. God shows mercy. He desires to restore those who are estranged from Him. He's especially concerned with reinstating those who have turned against Him. He is especially concerned with reestablishing those who have fallen away from Him. God takes special pleasure in restoring those who have gone off to the far country and been in exile. Friends, when we read the parable of the prodigal son, we're reading the story of God. He's reminding His listeners that yet again, God wants nothing more than for His children to come home. When I think about this parable, I, I won't lie, what comes to mind, in my mind, is that the Father has every right to disown His Son. The Father has every right to look upon His Son who is approaching Him and say, no, 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 no. Look what you did. Look what you did. You're no longer welcome in this home. The Father has every right and could have very well spent the rest of His days reminding His Son just what a failure He had become. But this father so saw no value in such an endeavor. He already knew his son was broken and beaten by a life of sin. This father could already see that the young son had already received the consequences due him for a life of prodigal living. And so rather than prolong his son's self-inflicted shame, this father purposed to shower his boy with grace and love. A good friend of mine uh, Kit Ray, he's an old college buddy. He was telling me recently about a, a trip he took to inner city L.A. to evangelize gang members, drug dealers, prostitutes, you name it. They went to the inner city. They put up a tent, if you will, and had one of those old-fashioned evangelism revival meetings. And he says, Neil, one thing impressed me most about the evangelist that day. I said, what was that? And he said, this evangelist did not beat these people over the head with what they already knew. This evangelist didn't walk down on the stage and say, you're a drug dealer. You're a prostitute. You're a gang member. Woe is you, you sinner. Look what you've done. What a waste of your life. 
He said, no, 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 no. This evangelist did something different. He says, look, you guys already know what you've done. I don't need to tell you about this. I'm going to tell you about something great, though. There's a Savior. You can come back from the far country. I don't need to beat you over the head with what you already know about your life. But I do need to tell you something. There's really good news. God has sent Jesus Christ to bring you out of that life. The Father has seen you from afar and is saying, come on home. Come on home. I don't care what you did. I don't care what you did. You come home. Kit went on to tell me that there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people coming to faith in Christ that day. And he credits it. Obviously, it's a work of the Spirit. But really, he, he, he said, I credit it a lot to the message of the preacher. He did not beat them over the head with what they already knew. He simply told them, come home. You know what you've done. Come home. Friends, the parable that we've read, come home. God shows mercy to sinners. There's no greater story. We see it in the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's saying, come home. You say, how do I come home? How do I leave the life of sin that I've been on? How do I become, yet again, one of His children? John 1.12 says, But as many as received Him, that is Jesus, to them He gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in His name. So friends, whether, whether or not you've been on a path of sin and you've never known the Lord, or whether you've, been on, whether you've come to faith in the Lord and you've gone off your own way, it doesn't matter to me. I don't care. You don't need to confess all your sins to me or the elders of the people of this church. You don't need to get up here and say, woe is me, look what I've done. I'm just telling you this. Come home. Leave it behind. Come to faith in Jesus Christ if you have not already. Return to the Lord if you've strayed from Him. Come home. At the start of the study, we asked a question. How would you react to your child if they utterly shunned your instruction and turned aside to their own way? May I suggest, rather than answering this question, I ask another one? The other one is this. How has God reacted to us each time we've shunned His counsel and turned aside to our own way? You see, time and time again, the answer is, no matter what, you can always come home. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, my God, you, You've called us home. We don't deserve it. There's nothing good in us that would warrant being called Your son or Your daughter. Lord, we, we've got, we're bringing nothing to the table here. And yet You, as a Father to us, See us from afar, and you're running out to meet us. You're saying, don't worry about the past. Just become my son. Become my daughter. Come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ today and become a child of God. Lord, we thank you for this message. It reminds us as parents that no matter what our children do, they are always welcome home. And it reminds us, Father, of the great story that never grows old 
the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, that you have sent Jesus to die in our stead, that we might come home. Father, I pray that the people in this church today would come home. In Christ our Lord's name, amen.